Hello and welcome to a special CPAC edition of Problematic Women, a show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of liberal feminists. My name is Kelsey Harkness and I'm a senior news producer with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer at The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal. And we're here today with a special guest. Britt McHenry, um, kind of floating around right now, formerly with ESPN, but thank you guys for having me. She's a contributor at The Federalist uh, and is always getting in the fray when it comes to sports and other things like that, which <laughs> highly problematic. Gonna, yeah, very problematic. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, we're going to get into. We have an action-packed show today. Kelsey, why don't you start us off? Yes, so first off, our hearts are still going out for those affected by the tragedy in Florida. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have heard about this CNN town hall debate that happened last night with NRA uh, spokeswoman Dana Lash um, sticking up for the Second Amendment in, um, and, and speaking directly to some of the students who were affected. It certainly is not an easy job for her, and there are a lot of Second Amendment supporters out there, so it is important that they at least have a voice in this. But while she was there, um, she faced not only tough questions, but very tough rhetoric coming, coming from the actual audience. Yeah, at various points uh, through the conversation, she was called a witch. She was People told her, like, burn the witch, things like that. We actually have a clip of a conversation that she had with the sheriff who was in charge of that area and has very publicly come out and made statements for more gun control. And she kind of called him out and was like, yo, you were called to this individual's house 39 times in the year leading up to what this individual eventually did. Let's listen. Mentally ill, we need the power to take every firearm they have away from them and bring them to a mental health facility. 39 visits did not meet that standard. 39 visits assaulting students, assaulting parents, taking bullets and knives to school. Did that not meet that standard? Well, which 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 are you speaking about specifically? You seem to know about all 39. Well, there's I know there's one Florida statute well, where if he's no, sending tell me, messages tell me about the threatening, case. if he's sending messages threatening to kill people, that right there under Florida state law. Who did he send the message to kill people to? BuzzFeed, AP, Reuters, Yahoo News, no, all what, reported that what, was to other students. Who was the victim? It was, well, it was Reuters sent to can't, other students. Dana, Reuters can't be a victim. The only person who could be they a victim is an individual. Is what so I'm if saying. an individual was threatened and it was real, that's a crime. But it, if he's posting yes, things... they were threatened with death. They were threatened that they were going to bleed. They were threatened that they were going to be killed. Well, what's your specific case? And he had already taken bullets and knives to school. He had already assaulted people. He assaulted his parent. He assaulted other students. 39 visits. And this was w w known what, to the, 30, the, to the intelligence visits. and law enforcement the, community. You're, now, I'm not Look, I'm not saying that you can be everywhere at once, no. but this is what I'm talking you're, you're about. We have to follow up on these red flags. You're, you're not the litmus that meets test. The, doesn't you're, that meet the you're standard? You're absolutely not the litmus test for how law enforcement should follow up. You're wrong. There weren't 39 visits. Some of them, they were GOA. Some of them called from other states. To say there were 39 visits, I don't know where you got those facts, but you're completely Media. wrong. Did well, they report it inaccurately? They, they reported it inaccurately, but if, if you're going to stand up in front of a national audience, you shouldn't I'm, rely I'm not, on a, me on a media. This is what I'm asking. 
So Dana was slain with some facts and she received a lot of pushback from the audience. Um, as I referenced earlier, they shouted, they actually yelled at her, burn her, shame, all kinds of other things you're like that. You're a murderer. Which, you're a murderer is another, another thing. Yeah. Which, if that's not Handmaid's Tale, I don't know what is. Yeah. Uh, Britt, what's your reaction to just all the pushback that she's received for saying facts? about gun laws and gun regulations uh, and just everything that happened in this situation. Well, as we were discussing uh, before and during that, that clip, CNN was the first to report those statistics. And so I find it interesting that CNN is quiet when the facts are reported, which were reported by them, and then by Dana. And I, I want to give her props because she went into the lion's den uh, we're at CPAC, just saw her. She looks exhausted. Her and her husband have just suffered so much abuse in the last 24 hours. And she brought facts to the table. And I don't know how this conversation has devolved into you're a child murderer if you are a law-abiding citizen that owns a gun. Yeah. And, you know, want to bring facts into the discussion. Like, these children who are going on every media outlet, seemingly, you know, why can't you objectively say is this really the best thing for these young kids who are probably suffering from PTSD? But if you say that, oh no, you hate children. And I want to commend her for being a voice for a lot of strong Republican women. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she, I heard she's actually walking around with like six armed guards her and her husband. She's already had to move. We've talked about this on the show yeah. before. She's had to move because she received so many threats. So you can only imagine what she's facing right now. Yeah, and I think honestly, like, it's really surprising, ironic, sad, I don't even know what word to use here, but you know, it's interesting that the same people who so vehemently advocate for gun control uh, are the same people that like to threaten you with death and with rape mm -hmm. when you have a different opinion. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a tough conversation. I think it's a conversation not just about guns. I think it's so much broader than that. I hope we continue to have this conversation, but I hope it's done fairly, and I don't think what we saw last night on CNN um, really was fair to people like Dana, who are at least trying to explain uh, the, the, the perspective of people who really do value the Second Amendment. Well, I remember in the Texas church shooting, it was two NRA members who tracked the murderer down, yeah. shot, the, the I think, the tire in his car, which eventually led him to be derailed, and, and he took his own life. But they prevented possible more devastation happening, and they're... NRA members. They're not murderers. That's a horrible conversation. And quite honestly, I think CNN should be ashamed of themselves for allowing that to be broadcasted on their air. Yeah, and I think honestly, like explaining the kids who have just suffered. I mean, imagine if that happened to you last week and then you weren't allowed to have time, you know, to even to go on. Yeah. And that's not to say I definitely, you know, they've suffered a great tragedy and I think we should listen to them and I think that their voices should be amplified. But I'm saying I think that they also should have a second, you know, to pause, figure things out, and yes. then come back from this. Because, I mean, imagine they're on this, like, crazy train rolling after just experiencing the most harrowing thing you can yeah. possibly imagine. Speaking well, of harrowing well, things. something else happened this <laughs> something week. Something else happened this week. <laughs> Change of pace here. We're yeah. going to talk a little bit about Jennifer Lawrence and her little outrage she had. So what happened is Jennifer Lawrence wore a Versace, I believe, dress. Um, for a picture out in the freezing cold next to a bunch of men who were in coats and suits. Yeah. She looked awesome. She's beautiful, slayed. beautiful dress. She slayed. apparently got a lot of hate for this. 
and that hate turned into a controversy that she apparently felt the need to respond to. So this was what Jennifer Lawrence said. Wow, I really don't know where to get started on this Jennifer Lawrence wearing a revealing dress in the cold controversy. This is not only utterly ridiculous, I am extremely offended that that Versace, I can't pronounce Versace. Versace. <laughs> Sorry, I'm clearly not a fashion expert. Um, I, I'm a fashion expert when it comes to my problematic woman t-shirt. Yes, yes, yeah. which you can get. I also have a Federalist shirt. You can get our swag over at Federalist.com. Okay, that dress was fabulous. You think I'm going to cover up that gorgeous dress with a coat and a scarf? I was outside for five minutes. I would have stood in the snow for that dress because I love fashion and that was my choice. This is sexist. This is ridiculous. This is not feminism. Overreacting about everything someone says or does, creating controversy over silly, innocuous things such as what I choose to wear or not to wear, is not moving us forward. It is creating silly distractions from real issues. Get a grip, people. Everything you see me wear is my choice. And if I want to be cold, that is my choice, too. So, Brett. She's really it, triggered. Is it, <laughs> is it sexist to wonder if Jennifer Lawrence was cold? No. Okay, I don't I want to hear your takes too because if it's a man out there and we love I have no issue with seeing a good-looking male, you know, buff out there. You might be like, "Why doesn't he have a coat on?" So, I I would love to hear. I know Brie, you weighed in on this. Yeah. Uh, we were emailing. The only thing I have to say is this she's calling out people for overreacting to comments made and this is the same woman in in promoting mother the movie last fall who compared who said the hurricanes were a result of donald trump so like yeah she's a little bit about hyperbole herself so yeah, so maybe let's not take yeah. cues about overreacting <laughs> from jennifer from Lawrence. the queen of overreaction well, i would yeah. say this yeah. is an overreaction to the few haters out there yeah. who made comments that she might be a little bit cold outside so yeah. she's overreacting to people overreacting she which definitely is, just is really I think demonstrates where we are in America right yeah. now. There's a lot. There's a lot. What so I think that she's 100% correct. I'd be annoyed if people were like, isn't Brie cold? You know, if this was me wearing like yeah. a dress and I'm like, yeah, I was cold. Like, get over yourselves. Yeah. But I wanted to look nice. Uh, you know, as women, we go through pain like all the time to look great. I mean, Brent, you're in heels. Yeah. Sure you're we were just talking you. about that. They are. Yeah. But I'm sitting but down you're going to push through it yeah. because <laughs> that's the price to pay to yeah. so look great all the time. Exactly. So I would be annoyed with that too um that being said i don't think it's sexist to wonder if she's yeah. cold I, I mean you and i were talking earlier you know the guy from tonga who held the flag yeah. in the olympics and went shirtless again people were like oh my gosh it's freezing why isn't he wearing a coat isn't he cold yeah same exact conversation yeah. sort of like a man and a woman it's not sexist to wonder if someone's cold. i know Is it ridiculous yeah sexist no and just, you know, PSA, if Chris Hemsworth, the actor of Thor, ever just wants to be cold outside shirtless, <laughs> I, I support it. We welcome always. that. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> okay, well, on the topic of the Olympics, we wanted to give a quick update and especially bring you into this because you do have experience reporting in the sports world, which Bree and I have We do. Uh, we're not sports people, so you can add a great perspective. So would you call Lindsey Vaughn's uh, bronze medal? Right. Yeah. Disappointing. A dis disappointing finish. Her final, final Olympic run of her career. I'm actually surprised at my take on this because I don't. I think she's she's definitely in the twilight of her career. This will be it for her. 
Uh, she came back from a torn ACL. She has a rod in her arm. I think sometimes we we watch from our couches and, and we're like the experts, right? Like, oh, she didn't get gold. That's still incredible what she did. And she's still representing the United States of America. Do I agree with the things she said about Trump? No. <laughs> but I think some of the hate she was getting online was not warranted. And we still have to remember, she's repping our flag and our country. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know who did win, though? Uh, the USA hockey women's oh, team yes. won. Yes. And, and that win shootout. It ended Canada's four-year Olympic streak with, yeah, 3-2 shootout. Yeah, so as little as I know about sports, that is awesome. It's huge. I mean, that's Canada's sport. Let's, let's be real here. That's like... Yeah, another country beating our dream team back in 92 with Michael Jordan and all those like. So I think that kudos to the American women. Um, and the men are just playing the NHL. That that angers me. I don't want to get off topic, but NHL players should have been in the Olympics. How do you watch the best in the world when they're not even competing? The ladies were good for them. Yeah. Well, sticking to the sports topic, this is an issue that I know, Britt, you have some experience with. So Sports Illustrated wants us to know that taking off your clothes to sell magazines is definitely not... Um, it's definitely empowering. Yes, definitely very empowering and not at all exploitative. And you had a piece <laughs> over at thefederalist.com that got you got you some heat. So let's the, well, let's explain the backstory first in case any of our listeners don't know what, what um, triggered this piece. Yeah. So I was simply just on Twitter, minding my own business. <laughs> and I think it's not fair. I think conservative women get this tag of like, you're just trying to stir up controversy. And like, I'm drinking coffee tweeting. Like, no, I was not looking for a beef for a fight. But I tweeted something to the effect of like, why do you have to take your clothes off to feel empowered? Isn't it more empowering to go into a classroom, into a, a workplace, wherever you work, and just crush it alongside the men? Like, that to me is more empowering. Uh, if you want to get naked, if you want to feel sexy, and that's your version of doing it, then by all means, a, a woman can do that. But Paige Spiranak, a golfer, former women's golfer, who's very beautiful, she was in the magazine. She found my tweet. She responded to me and saying, said, like, who are you to tell women what's empowering for them? Which wasn't really what I said. But I responded back and forth, and she ended up sending me a naked photo of herself. So that, that, that was interesting. Um, Happy birthday. Yeah. And, and what I really had been targeting, though, wasn't Paige. I didn't even know she was in the magazine. It was the the Me Too spread in her words that they did. Now, if those women want to express themselves that way, again, if you're watching, that's fine. But I just thought an example of Allie Raisman in court looking beautiful, professional, standing up to a man that needed to be stood up to. That did more for women than being naked with, with words on your body. I don't know. What do you guys think? I just, I, it doesn't, I just want younger women to see successful Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, commanding the press briefings, uh, hopefully one day the first female president. Like, that to me is large-scale empowerment. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hypocrisy surrounding that issue specifically. I mean, feminists are always complaining that we're being objectified yeah. and that uh, we're not represented in situations that you just said, in the classroom, in the courtroom, etc. And yet, this is what feminists are telling us is empowering, to take our clothes yeah. off and like literally do it so that way a magazine can sell copies to objectify us. It's yeah. like, what? Sell, sell what? copies to men. I think right, sell copies to yeah. men. Yeah. That's who's reading this. People who read it are 
are men. And look, at the end of the day, I don't care if you're a woman and you want to take your clothes off and yeah, pose for those types of, of spreads, go for it. But to try to do that in the name of Me Too yeah. and, 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 and feminism just seems deeply hypocritical and problematic to me. No, I well, and, and they're the ones who pushed it on us. I, I, like to Paige, to respond to her, I'm not telling women you guys are you're saying this is how you're empowered and as we know we express our opinions we strip down our opinions just like that if you strip down your body you're gonna have people who don't agree with you so toughen up Paige <laughs> agree to disagree with Paige yes. yeah yeah all right well this was an interesting Quinnipiac poll that I wanted to bring up 86% of Republicans 85% of Democrats and 80% of independents believe it's important for a president to be faithful to his wife of course the reason that this poll is being talked about, I saw it over on CNN, is um, because of President Trump and rumors surrounding infidelity um, on his front. But it's interesting because presidential infidelity is really nothing new, and these polls probably have existed for a long time, and then now they're headline news. But on the same front, I don't want to excuse or condone any infidelity. It just seems like... Um, it's difficult to know where to draw the line when it comes to President Trump because I think a lot of Americans, even American women, knew what they were getting when they chose to vote for him. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, listen, as Americans, we get to select who our leaders are and select who governs us. And I think there's a problem if the person who is governing you and is leading you has serious integrity issues. And I mean, it's very apparent that yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump has serious integrity issues. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, I mean, I, I don't remember, um, you know, a lot of these polls being issues when other presidents were in the White House or when other senators were the lion of the Senate. I mean, a lot of things got swept under the rug. Um, Except for Bill Clinton. Yeah, that was headline news. But I guess I'm talking Ted Kennedy. Yes. You know what I no, mean? Like, been we know that there's these individuals right, <laughs> that were predatory for a long time, and then now, all of a sudden, the narrative is flipped. I think it's definitely fair to ask that question and say, okay, what's really motivating polls like this? I think that um, it, it is interesting that it seems as though this society has been desensitized to Donald Trump in a lot of ways. But I also think that's a reflection of, like, we are, no matter how mean social media can get, in general, I think Americans are, like, a second-chance-forgiving type of people. Now, we might be going on second, third, fourth, fifth. I was going to say, I feel like yeah. there's more than well, two the chances chance. on that front. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. So, but, that, but still, people don't really seem to care as much when these stories come out. So it's a little mystifying to me. I think in general, maybe as a culture, you could just, I don't know, I think we're a little bit more forgiving. With him, it's an extreme. But I also think there's more pressing things in the country right now, that DACA, the tax reform, still trying to fix healthcare, that people care more about that than... It's, yeah, it's an interesting it's question things. because I don't think as a society we want to move any closer to excusing infidelity, no, but yeah. at the same time, you're right, there are far more important issues for us to be talking about, and how do we strike that balance? And we've seen it so many times, unfortunately, you know, not just with him, with, like you said, other senators and presidents, so. Yeah, definitely agree. Okay, so I wanted to talk about a story that was up on thefederalist.com today about a magistrate in North Carolina who was forced to quit her job when same-sex marriage became legal in the state. So she's a magistrate, which part of the job is to uh, perform civil services for individuals as well as set bonds, set bails, all that sort of thing. 2014 happens, same-sex marriage becomes legal. She's like, you know what, as a Bible-believing Christian, I can in good faith 
do that uh, with my religious beliefs, ask them to reschedule and accommodate her. Um, she was told no, they can't reschedule, you know, her schedule so she's not on duty when marriages are happening. And granted, at the time, marriages were something that you had to sign up and schedule, so they knew in advance when weddings were happening. They could have rescheduled her for like a couple hours once a month. Um, they decided not to do that, and she was forced to resign from her job. So she ends up suing the state of North Carolina, wins, gets a $300,000 settlement in damages, attorney fees, etc. Um, and, you know, her case, which was just finalized and settled like a few weeks ago, really sends a message to a lot of the other uh, uh, magistrates and employers across the country that, listen, you need to accommodate for your employees' religious beliefs and you can't just, you know, railroad them yeah. over what they believe, Yeah. you know? And I think... Um, I mean, as a Christian myself, it's definitely, looking at cases like that, it's like, I feel really empowered hearing her story um, and knowing how she stuck it to the man and was able to fight them and get $300,000 and her retirement because she almost lost her pension. Wow. So that's a story that I wanted to highlight and talk about. You can read the full story over at thefederalist.com. She's also like a cute granny. <laughs> and I talked to her for like an hour and a half and she was telling me all these little tidbits about her grandchildren in her life. So you can it's read. interesting that so many of these men, women, couples who are facing and really standing up for religious liberty are these often these very cute old couples who are really living these very simple yeah. lives and get caught up in something far greater than them. But because they believe in something far greater than themselves, they choose to stand up and fight for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a very special interview with the new president of the Heritage Foundation. And we are back with our special CPAC edition of Problematic Women. Right now, we are going to play you a sit-down interview with Kate James, who took over as president of the Heritage Foundation at the beginning of January. Mrs. James is someone that we on Problematic Women have been wanting to feature for some time because as she acknowledges herself, is highly problematic, so I hope you'll enjoy this. for joining us on Problematic Women. I'm excited. We've been wanting to have you on our podcast for some time. And the first question that I have to ask is, do you identify as a problematic woman? I am so tickled pink at the title, at the, at the concept. I have been a problematic woman all my life. You know, and, and I'm doubly problematic for liberals. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a female and I'm black, you know? What can they do with that? <laughs> well, for those who haven't heard your personal story and your personal journey, I know it is a long story, but can you give those who haven't heard it the short story? Because well, sure. you came from a very difficult background and you easily could have been a victim, but you chose to be a product of your circumstances, uh, not a victim of your circumstances, well, as Kellyanne. Conway might say. Oh, well, absolutely. Well, as my mother said, we are survivors. We are not victims. Um, and I was born to a welfare mom, alcoholic dad. I grew up uh, for the early years in the public housing projects of Richmond, Virginia. 
I was taken in by an aunt and uncle and afforded everything that this great country has to offer, uh, an education. I didn't need anyone to tell me a mine was a terrible thing to waste. Uh, I knew that, and uh, education was the key had the opportunity to go to a phenomenal historically black college, uh, Hampton at that time Institute, now University. And uh, as a result of that, came out, became a housewife and mom, uh, which uh, are jobs that are still the best ones I've ever had. And uh, it was during that period that I was volunteering and putting time in at what we used to call crisis pregnancy centers. And I realized that there were not many women of color and voices speaking out, you know, over 35, 40 years ago on the life issue. And so I decided to speak out on that issue. Then I decided to speak out on education. Then I decided to speak out on drug policy. Then I decided to speak out on health care and there you go. That launched a very problematic woman. Very problematic <laughs> career that landed you now as president of the Heritage Foundation. And I hope in that capacity, <laughs> I can just be a real problem. <laughs> so I'm curious um, why you think it's so important for young women, since we are here at CPAC, for young women specifically, to look at the topic of feminism and not just buy into what the left says, but really think critically about what it means to be a feminist in today's society. Well, first of all, I think that conservative women ought to take over and lead the feminist movement. I think I am more feminist than the most liberal feminist woman you've ever seen. Um, and the reason for that is, um, one of my favorite lines is, um, you know, they have as the core of their uh, epistemology that, that, that they must have abortion rights in order to be real feminists. And I tell them, I'm a real feminist because I don't have to change anything about who I am as a woman or kill my children in order to be a feminist. And I say to men, I don't need to do that in order to be equal to you. And so I think young feminists ought to take over the movement and lead it, because we're the real feminists. I love that. So do you think we should be embracing the term feminist, which has in some ways been hijacked, or do we need to find a new term? Oh, shoot, it's a good term. Take the term, I'm redeem with you. it. I'm, redeem I'm it. with you, all right. Love that. All right, my last question is, now that you're leading a conservative organization, um, especially in light of the Women's March, the Women's Movement, hashtag Me Too, it's important for conservatives to reach young women who maybe haven't decided where they fall politically. How can conservatives better do that? Well, you know, I think as we look at all of the issues that are important to us as conservatives, one of the things that we need to be very sensitive about is how do we articulate those issues in ways and terms and on platforms that will reach younger women. And that's one of the missions that I have um, at uh, the Heritage Foundation. Um, I want to make sure that we are where the younger women are. I want to make sure that we are talking about the issues that are important to them. Um, and we can, and we should, and we will. Well, that's one of the reasons myself and many of my colleagues at The Daily Signal are excited to have you as our leader. So thank you so much for caring about these issues and for joining us 
for the first time, I hope not the last, yes. on Problematic Women. Absolutely, and I assure you I, can, I will continue to be a problematic woman. <laughs> and as proud as you are, I am proud of me, I am proud of you. When I walk through the halls of Heritage and I see the bright, talented young women who are there, I, I just get encouraged. I'm just going to have to end our interview with <laughs> this. We have it at our CPAC. Uh, at our CPAC station here. We Good. encourage any of you to stop by and take a picture. Here's one of the most problematic women you can find. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Thank Thanks. you, Mrs. James. Thank you. <laughs>
it's given a platform for all the conservative women. And to see these young girls, like 18-year-olds here, I'm inspired by them. They're saying they're inspired by us. I'm inspired by them. So keep stirring, stirring it up. I'm I agree it. with you. And the reason I'm so inspired by them is because they seem to get the most empowerment out of going against the fray and um, daring to think for themselves and to be independent women, which is really what we all should be and what we all should support no matter where you fall on the political spectrum. So that's going to wrap up our show today. Britt, thanks so much thanks for joining. For You'll have to come back yeah. again. Um, in honor of our problematic women, we're going to show you a clip of us asking them why they are so problematic. Now, as a young female conservative, why do you think that's so problematic today? Well, um, for instance, I just called my father on the phone the other day to talk to him about uh, some of the problems I think I'm facing just as being a young conservative uh, blonde girl that's 19 interning. I'm at the point in my life I'm going to continue to intern. What's so hard, though, is no one wants to accept a young 19-year-old uh, female as an intern that's uh, male just because of the allegations today. And that doesn't mean that none of them will. That doesn't mean that any of them uh, are, or all of them, are necessarily guilty. The big problem is, though, we don't know what is and what is not, and no one wants to be put into the position where they could possibly be accused of that. I think a lot of the problem with being a young female conservative is rooted in a lot of the views that like my fellow age group women have. And sometimes I feel like targeted for believing things like different than they do. And it's hard to voice like that maybe I don't support Planned Parenthood and they say, well, what about women rights? Like I still believe in equality among the sexes. It's just there's things that I don't necessarily agree with. And sometimes it's hard to come out and say, yeah, I voted for Donald Trump. And it's because you feel kind of put down and like maybe like um, not support, like they don't, I feel not supported in my own opinion. Um, I think it's pretty problematic just because I feel like I don't have a voice because there are other female liberals that are kind of just silencing me anytime I try to share my opinion. And I think it's especially hard on like social media because anytime I like try to like tweet something on Twitter, they always like attack me for it, and then I just have to like end up taking it down because I'm afraid I'm gonna get like wrecked at school or like lose all my friends. So modern feminism claims to be for all women, but they leave out a huge group of women, conservative women, and we're a problem for them because they've kind of set up this ideological mold they want women to fit into, and we don't. We don't fit into third wave feminism and the left's version of victimhood as a woman and so we're a big problem for them. We're a threat to them because we're bold and we're empowered in a way that they're not and I think that's what makes us problematic for them.